Today is still February 4th. It is one o'clock. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Vincent Valella, and I'm sitting here with Mr. Galvin. Good morning. I'm Adrian Galvin. This is the last installment of The Willows by Algernon Blackwood. This is chapter four, and Vince is going to introduce you to the chapter. Chapter four, we're at the end. Um, so let's start at the beginning of the end. It's the willows, of course. The willows mask the others. But the others are feeling about for us. If we let our minds betray our fear, we're lost, lost utterly. He looked at me with an expression so calm, so determined, so sincere, that I no longer had any doubts as to his sanity. He was as sane as any man ever was. If we can hold out through the night, he added, we may get off in the daylight unnoticed, or rather, undiscovered. <laughs> and I'll just take over right there because it's awesome. That gong-like humming came down very close over our heads as I spoke. But it was my friend's scared face that really stopped my mouth. Hush, he whispered, holding up his hand. Do not mention them more than you can help. Do not refer to them by name. To name is to reveal. It is the inevitable clue, and our only hope lies in ignoring them, in order that they may ignore us. Even in thought? Especially in thought. Our thoughts make spirals in this world. We must keep them out of our minds at all costs, if possible. So you're probably familiar with this also. I think there's this idea that if you name something, then you have control over it, or that you know some sort of magical thing will occur. So he's, uh, he's cautioning him not to name that. And I love that the gong, I love that the sound is very um, like spatially located for them. So they can hear this sound descending out of the sky to come like observe them. It's getting closer, it senses them. And <laughs> so here's what they plan to do about it. Now listen, he said, the only thing for us to do is to go on as though nothing had happened. Follow our usual habits, go to bed, and so forth. Pretend we feel nothing and notice nothing. It is a question wholly of the mind, and the less we think about them, the better our chance of escape. Above all, don't think for what you think happens. So yeah, their, their plan is basically uh, act like this isn't happening and hope that it doesn't happen, which is probably not how it's going to go. So I do, I want to mention right now about the gong, how there's, there's a lot of imagery and just literal describing things in here from other places right. as having certain qualities. Like the Swede is resolute. The Hungarians are superstitious. Mm -hmm. um, the gong, gong is not a instrument from where Albert on Blackwood was, I don't think. Um, but it's things from other places are scary. And I mm -hmm. think this might speak to some feelings of the times where there are unknown places with unknown things and that those unknown things can be scary. <laughs> right. So let's move into talking about a, a change. Mm -hmm. So often in the story, they've, the protagonist has presented, been presented with things that were scary and rationalized them in the fourth section. This changes. <clears throat> so he, he's, mulling over what he thinks about the the swede and he cries out you damned old pagan you imaginative idiot you superstitious idolater you and then the protagonist stops and realizes um that what he is saying is 
is not how he truly feels, that he also feels the same horror, the same fear. So he's acknowledging that the rationalizations aren't working, that what is happening is truly occurring and having a real effect on both of them. So let's move on to the Swede. So the Swede has been a, a foundation throughout a lot of the beginning of the book and even into the end, he's resolute, he understands what's going on, he's giving explanations for how to solve their problems. Mm -hmm. But um, the protagonist is starting to have to take on a leadership role. Um, so he's saying, the Swede doesn't, he's confused, he's not really talking a lot, he, he's not smoking his pipe, things are going wrong. And the protagonist says, he said no more, and I saw that he would agree and obey. So this person who was his companion, who was taking charge, is now, can only barely take care of himself. Mm. And I wonder if that's because the Swede understands no understands better what's going on. Right. That that ability to understand what's happening and even give information about it mm -hmm. is making him more susceptible to the damages, whereas the protagonist is bumbling through it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and so some more bumbling. They actually run out of camp, um, and they're sort of running around in terror, and they, they trip over each other, <laughs> um, and they fall in this pile of willows. Look! By my soul, he whispered. And for the first time in my experience, I knew what it was to hear tears of terror in a human voice. He was pointing to the fire, some fifty feet away. I followed the direction of his finger, and I swear my heart missed a beat. There, in front of the dim glow, something was moving. I saw it through a veil that hung before my eyes like the gauze drop curtain used at the back of a theater hazily a little. It was neither a human figure nor an animal. To me, it gave the strange impression of being as large as several animals grouped together like horses, two or three moving slowly. And I'm just reminded of that moment in Lord of the Rings when the, the Nazgul are like flying over Minas Tirith and Frodo's kind of like looking drunk and the, the camera's like swaying all over and he goes, oh, they've come. And it's, you just have this idea that like the things are out to get them. They're here and they're big in big trouble. And they didn't really notice it before because they were standing next to the fire and looking out into the blackness, they couldn't see anything. And then they have this moment of terror and they bumble out into the woods and then they look back at the fire and from the glow of the firelight, they can see these ethereal beings everywhere. They've actually been surrounded. Um, so they're in deep trouble. Is that tears of terror or yeah. tears of terror? I think tears. Because I, I, I stopped there, hear, too. To hear tear... Oh, maybe. Is it Because they're spelled the same, yeah, right? That's weird, yeah. Uh, so the question is, he whispered, and for the first time in my experience, I knew what it was to hear tears of terror in a human voice or tears of terror. I'm not really sure. I, I think both kind of make sense. But also don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Algernon. So either tears or tears of terror in a human voice. Your choice. Yeah. Okay, let's <laughs> go on... To, to how they, they solve these problems. So mm -hmm. they're bumbling around um, and they see, they hear the gong and they see these things start to come at them and they feel otherworldly pressure. Their minds are beginning to break. They're choking with fear. Thing, things are bad. It's like they're in a psychological vice that's slowly closing in on them. Mm -hmm. um, and while at the beginning of the book, they found 
refuge in sleeping. That's what the delicious comfort of sleep, delicious forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, when this pr presence is upon them, um, there he's grabbed the Swede and the thing the Swede says saves him is I lost consciousness for a moment or two. That's what saved me. It made me stop thinking about them. Mm -hmm. You nearly broke my arm in two, I said, uttering only uttering my only connected thought at the moment. That's what saved you, he replied. Between us, we've managed to set them off on a false track somewhere. The humming has ceased. It's gone. For the moment, at any rate. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So yeah, I really like that one because they're... You can tell that this is the final part of the story because they they were literally about to die. Like these things had come down to feed on them. They came out of the sky. They're surrounding them. And they accidentally stumble off into the woods. And then it's about to get them. And they sort of, they like fall over basically and sort of lose consciousness for a second. Yeah, the Swede passes out and yeah. then grabs the protagonist's arm and like tries to like snap it. Yeah. So they go kind of crazy and they manage to like throw them off. So they go back into camp and the Swede's talking here. It's those sand funnels, exclaimed the Swede when the tent was up again and the firelight lit up the ground for several yards about us. And look at the size of them. So this is what we mentioned earlier in one of the earlier episodes that um, they have this mark. The, like you can tell where the spirits have been because they create these kind of depressions or pits. It's like this pattern that they sort of generate in places. So they go to sleep, kind of. They get back in the tent. I don't know. Yeah, because I guess they have nothing else to do. And then this is kind of a direct reference to the first attack of the willows that we mentioned in episode one when they're asleep and the willows press around them that's actually when they attack their canoe and the setup is basically exactly the same he's asleep and he starts to hear this kind of rustling pattering here we go back into the book that sound of multitudinous soft pattering was again audible outside filling the night with horror i called again to him louder than before he did not answer, but I missed the sound of his snoring and also noticed that the flap of the tent was down. This was an unpardonable sin. Because that means they can see outside into the horror. I crawled out into the darkness to hook it back securely, and it was then for the first time that I realized positively that the Swede was not here. He had gone. So this is big problems. So the Swede, the Swede's run away, right? Run away. <laughs> past <laughs> tense. Away. Past tense of run is runned. Yes. Um, so the Swede has ran away, um, but it, it's kind of sweet. The protagonist says, but my friend was in danger and I could not hesitate. So he charges out into, under this island that's slowly eroding. Um, and he's looking for him. He's tumbling and running through the willows that we described earlier, getting scratched up. Then... Quite, quote, then, quite unexpectedly, I came out upon the island's point and saw a dark figure outlined between the water and the sky. It was the Swede. And already he had one foot in the river. A moment more and he would have taken the plunge. I threw myself upon him, flinging my arms about his waist and dragging him shorewards with all my strength. Of course he struggled. So he sees the Swede dipping himself in the water and drags him back. And then the Swede, when he kind of comes to, says, My life, old man. It's my life I owe you. But it's all over now anyhow. They've found a victim in our place. Right. This ties into the sacrifice we were talking about earlier. So I think this is interesting because actually we were having a debate right before we got on to record. Um, Vince was asking, 
when he says old man, is he just colloquially referring to the main character? And I said, yes, that's a normal thing. But actually, it's really interesting because they're about to encounter a literal old man. And now I'm not so sure. And maybe it's meant to be confusing because that that was a British, like the British say that. And so it could be that he's colloquially referring to the main character or he's referring to what turns out to be an actual old man. So into the book, see, he said quietly, the victim that made our escape possible. And when I peered across his shoulder, I saw that his stick rested on the body of an old man. So they've gone down to the water and they found this corpse. The Swede found it. He turned it over. It was the corpse of a peasant and the face was hidden in the sand. Clearly the man had been drowned, but a few hours before, and his body must have been swept down upon our island somewhere about the hour of dawn at the very time the fit had passed. So this is really interesting because it, it turns out to be that the main character's action is what breaks the spell, right? Because the Swede is about to go out and be the sacrifice. He's jumping into the water. He's going to be the corpse that's going to be drifting down. And the protagonist saves him. But then because of that weird thing where like something is required to die, somebody else further upstream gets it. And then he comes down. So it's interesting that he they, they do in this last moment have a kind of strange agency. Like his love of his friend and his ability to act quickly actually shifts who gets killed. And this is really interesting. So basically they see... See, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as like this was pure happenstance. Oh, uh, yeah. That just by chance this mm. other person had drowned and then the the otherworldly beings found this corpse in the river that uh, they thought was them. Interesting. Because they're so uh, they're so insignificant that any right. human vessel it's just looking for a human. It's just another fly to find someone. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting possibility too. Yeah, I like that. I like that reading. Um so they uh, they see this thing it's kind of scary. They go down to uh, like investigate it because you know that's smart, and they trip on the bank, and the protagonist bumps into the Swede, and the Swede falls on the corpse. And this is like, like uh, Yakety Sax is playing, <laughs> right? They just like bumble down the bank, like oh, let's check it out. Oh no, they're tired. To be fair, they're they're upset. Yeah, so they fall down, and the Swede runs into the corpse. The Swede uttered a sharp cry. And I sprang back as if I had been shot. At the moment we touched the body, there rose from its surface the loud sound of humming, the sound of several hummings, which passed with a vast commotion as of winged things in the air about us and disappeared upwards into the sky, growing fainter and fainter till they finally ceased in the distance. It was exactly as though we had disturbed some living yet invisible creatures at work. So I think actually you're quite right that they... These creatures were searching for them. They just missed them at the fire. They, you know, they, they somehow accidentally pass out and they miss them. And then somebody happens to die and the things are like, oh, we found them. Awesome. So they start feeding. And I just love that image of bumping into something and as if a thousand bees kind of like erupt off of it, but you can't see them and they all just like retract. Like you hear it and you feel it. Yeah. But you can't see any of them. See, I was scared at this point because I was like, oh, like they better move. Yeah. Um, which ties into the next part. Um, is there anything else you want to add about that? Nope. Okay. So the, the Swede is being a good Swede decides, uh, that he, I hope Swedish people listen to this and <laughs> people from Hungary. Um, does Hungary still exist? Yeah. Okay. I thought it might've got dissolved or something. There's some Austro Hungarian business, but, uh, yeah, they're still there. Okay. Still place. Good. Good. <laughs> hey, Hungary. <laughs> Shout out to Hungary. <laughs> um, so the Swede decides they should bury 
um, this corpse. Um, so they're trying to they're trying to drag it up on the shore. Um, but as they they touch it and these bees explode out of it, then they they run away in fear. And so they they had grabbed the body and now the body is dislodged. <clears throat> they see the sand funnels and then their mark, referring to the sand funnels. I hear my companion mutter under his breath, their awful mark. And when I turned my eyes again from his ghastly face to the river, the current had done its work and the body had been swept away into midstream and was already beyond our reach, so they can't bury it, and almost out of sight, turning over and over on the waves like an otter. <laughs> Which makes me wonder, was the first otter, do you think, a corpse? Yes. And that's why that's like things weren't as intense when they first got there? Right. Do you think it was a victim? Yeah. I think somebody died. Um, I wonder if that's why the person was shouting at the beginning. Right. And do you think a, the person that shouted like had escaped because his companion had been uh, attacked? Wow. Yeah, that's a good explanation. Like this story had happened right. a little it's, bit before. It's definitely cyclic. And they they definitely arrive at the island. So they see that otter and they see the dude, paddle, the, the Hungarian, <laughs> paddling downstream. And they, I think they definitely, they arrive at a moment when the cycle has just completed. So then it builds back up to the point where another sacrifice must be made. And then it's going to kind of like decrease and recycle from there. And yeah, the implication to me is definitely that that was not an otter. That wasn't a corpse. And they saw it as a corpse at first. And then they're, they're the sort reason. of, at, yeah, they're sort of at the height of their rational explaininess. <laughs> and so they're like, oh, it's just an otter. Um, yeah. So I think the implication is definitely that that was a corpse at that time. So what, out of, out of five, what would you rate this book? Out of five. <sighs> Do we get decimal places? No. Oh, shit. <laughs> gotta be, gotta be decisive. <laughs> we got numbers. Gotta be. Uh, I think four. I would say four because it's it's masterful mm -hmm. and his his ability to manipulate your psychology is um is straight up masterful. But there's there's something about it that isn't like earth shattering. It's entertaining and it grabs you hard you know it has that suspense and it just like we both had an experience i think of intending to read a certain amount mm -hmm. and then just being completely sucked into it so it has that that kind of feel to it um but to me it doesn't have the it doesn't change my worldview it doesn't mm. teach me something new um you know when we read william gibson or something like that it, it changes how i think about things and this is this is limited to just a really really intense engrossing experience so to me that's why i can't give it like a five the the one thing that i, I was going to bring up i would probably give it a four as yeah. well um is at the end when they start to reveal the monster yeah. like beyond where you describe them kind of floating up into the sky and being like golden sheep horses <laughs> floating around um right. that was cool but then as you started to learn more about the monster and you find out like the swede for some reason like knows how to work with this thing mm -hmm. that kind of it's like watching jaws but if jaws pops out in the first five minutes like it's like oh like there's jaws again right like we know how to defeat it we know what it's going to do mm. and it's it's not as interesting like when what are they eating like what are they why are they making why are they in the corpse that doesn't make any sense if it's uh, an otherworldly god why does right. it need to occupy a human hmm. like i guess you can fill in the blank with like oh right. it's interested or yeah. Oh, it just wants to crush life. 
I think it just wants to kill things. Why? Why would a why would this otherworldly being that doesn't even care about humans want that? And why wasn't it eating like otters or fish? Well, that's interesting because the island is devoid of life, right? Like they never they hear birds sometimes, but only during the day. There's no mention of animals. They didn't mm-hmm. actually see an otter. It was a dead person. Um, so. I think the thing is antithetical to and hates human beings. Oh, because, oh, do you think it represents like wilderness? Maybe. And the humans beings yeah. like going into it. And this is like a clash in this time mm-hmm. period between right. wilderness and frontier and humanity. Yeah, I think that's quite possible. Um, but I do think that although it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't care about them. It's that it can't sense them in the normal way. We skipped that one passage we were going to talk about, mm-hmm. but it, it says it, it's, it would be like a human looking for a gas leak. Like you get this kind of like sniff of it. And you're like, oh, something's wrong. But then you have to go like find it. It's very difficult to find. So I think they actually hate people. Like the the spirits want to destroy them. And they require this kind of sacrifice. But it's difficult for them to locate people because they can, they don't operate on the same sensory plane that mm. we do. But um, yeah, I think they do want to destroy people. By, by the way, there are a lot of things that we glossed over. There's a lot of themes and sections that we thought were right. great that really didn't make it mm. um, in the interest of time and flow for this. So definitely give The Willows by Algernon Blackwood a read. It's pretty quick. Um, I'm sure you can probably find it for free or quite cheap on the internet. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think that's about it. This has been fun. Yeah. Good job. Boom. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.